It was the last inning. Time was running out. Hitting teams two, fielding team six. Bases loaded. Pitcher gets ready, winds up, slowly comes back, releases a ball just straight down home plate. And then all of a sudden, I'll never forget the sound, crack, this ball flies way, 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 going, going, grand slam, home run. People were going crazy. They're running around the bases. They get to home plate. The kids are celebrating. They're going bananas. And even when that was happening in the chaos, all I could see was that poor pitcher, head down, lack of confidence, walking back to the dugout, feeling like he let down his team. And I felt that boy's pain, not only because I was the assistant coach, but I felt that boy's pain because that boy, that little boy, was my son. And no matter what I said, when we got back into the car and I was trying to lift up his spirits, no matter what I said, he's kept beating himself up over and over again, even though it was a tie game. It was a tie game that they ran out of time and it was ended with a tie, even though they didn't lose, but they didn't win. Even though the inning prior, he hit a triple that brought in three other runs so that it would be six to six, he still kept beating himself up. His confidence was shattered. Now, in a very similar way, how often is it for us when we make a mistake, when we fall, for us to beat ourselves up, right? When we drop the ball with our tongue, right? With people that we don't even know or the people that we love the most. Or when we drop the ball with something at work or when we drop the ball with an addiction that we run back to, how easy is it for us to just lose our confidence and stay in the dugout? What is it gonna take? How do we gain confidence after our failures to pick ourselves up, to kick the dust off of us, to get out of the dugout and to get back into the game of life. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at it through the lens of a man named Abraham. And we're going to get some coaching tips. But before we dive in, before we play ball, I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, thank you for getting us here, uh, grabbing our attention to watch and to move towards you. And I just ask whoever's watching that you would help them to slow their pace right now and to hear exactly from you. Thank you for being alive and living and giving us your word. And I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I'm going to invite you to open it up to the book of Genesis. Chapter 16 is where we're going to be chilling out in. The book of Genesis, the very first book of the Old Testament. Now, a little bit of a recap here if you're just catching up on this series. Abraham, uh, we don't know literally like hardly anything about his childhood, but we know a ton. We know a ton about his adulthood. And what we see here, something very important, is this promise. It's called the Abrahamic covenant that God gives Abraham, that he's going to make him famous, that, that, that he's going uh, to be a great nation, that he's going to have descendants and land. And uh, as far as the stars that he can count, it's just unbelievable the amount of, of influence that Abraham is going to have, that God promised him. And what we've seen on our journey through Abraham is this constant roller coaster of doubting God's promise and then like being super excited about God's promise and being reminded of God's promise and then again doubting and then trusting and then doubting and then trusting. And today 
we start going downhill again. And we see Abraham and his wife Sarah start to take the game into their own hands because they don't like how the game is being played. And so this is where the story picks up. Genesis chapter 16 right here. It says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So it's been 10 years since the promise, still got no kids, okay? Time's ticking, what's going on? And so her brain starts to spin a little bit. And so she says, she has a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So she's getting angry. She's getting frustrated. And so here's what she says. She says, go into my servant. That's exactly what that means, okay? Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so there's this request. Abraham's thinking, I mean, honey, you want me to do what? I mean, obviously, I mean, Abraham's not gonna actually listen to Sarah, right? Well, here's what it says. And so Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, just totally goes for it here. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he, there you go, went into Hagar. And what happened, right? Bingo, bingo, she conceived, okay? And when she saw that she had conceived, here's what happens. She looked with contempt on her mistress, And so Sarah said to Abram, she's getting frustrated, she's getting jealous, she's getting angry. May the wrong done to me now be on to you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord now judge between you and me. (laughs) So, I mean, this is literally like an ancient Jerry Springer show going on right now. I mean, what in the world have we just read? This is a major, major failure. It's coming in hot. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so what I want us to do is take a little time and highlight the three players. Okay. So we got three players here. We got Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar. Okay. The three players. And as we look at the mistakes, as we look at the error that each of these three uh, demonstrated, my hope is that we'll be honest with ourselves and maybe we can relate in some way of, of maybe how they dropped the ball. Okay. So the first one we're going to look at, let's look at Sarah. Okay. We look at Sarah and (laughs) Sarah literally, right? I mean, Sarah is literally, I like to look at her as just someone who's just a swing and a miss, right? I mean, she is like literally, I mean, I mean, just, just, she is just striking out over and over again with this thought. I mean, it's unbelievable how her mind gets to the point of where she feels like yeah, you know, a good idea would be to go ahead and give the mistress to my husband and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be in control of the starting lineup, God, not you. She wasn't happy with the pace of the game. She felt like the innings in a sense were dragging. Never been to a baseball game where the innings are dragging. You're just like, all right, get me out of here. I mean, I've had three hot dogs. It's time to get out of here. Let's go. This is how she was feeling. She was losing patience. And so she decided, you know, It's been 10 years. She doesn't know that 15 years later she was finally going to get her baby Isaac. But she doesn't know that. And so you know what? Forget it. I'm going to take the game into my own hands and I'm going to cheat. And that is what she did. And what does this show us? This reminds us of when in Jeremiah 17 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And it is desperately sick. Who can 
Who can understand it? I mean, do you know that your heart is desperately sick and wicked? I mean, the human heart and what we can think about and think about doing and going against God's ways and what we can, you know, think of and, and, and forecast is unbelievably sick. It reminds me of when Paul says in Romans 7, for I do not understand my own actions. Like, why am I doing this stuff? I don't understand. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And so where are you just blatantly striking out? Where you're just swinging at it over and over again and just striking out. Maybe you're striking out in lust. Maybe you're striking out in greed. Maybe you're striking out in selfishness. Maybe you're striking out in your pride. I don't know what it is for you, but ask yourself, what's coming to the forefront of your mind where you know that you just keep, you recognize the wickedness of your heart and you're like, I keep constantly striking out here and it's lowering your confidence and it's hard for you to get back up and walk. Let's look at the next batter up. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at the next one. Uh, we got Abram, Abram Ham. Let's see how, how did, how, how did Abraham, uh, when I think about Abraham, I think about him, his error is chasing grounders. Now, what do I mean by chasing grounders? So when you chase grounders, uh, it's really important in baseball, right, that you're supposed to stay in position. So let's just pretend here I'm at first base, okay? And so I'm at first base and um, I'm gonna, and let's say third base is over here. So first base, third base, and here comes a grounder. Okay, here we go. Okay, what did I just do? I was chasing a grounder and what did I do? I got out of position. Now let's say another grounder comes and here I am at first base. So go ahead and it goes, I don't move. But you see in Little League, the kids are learning this and they start getting out of position and they're chasing grounders and they're getting out of position and it messes up the entire game and you try to get it in their heads, but it's really, really difficult for them to get it in their heads. Abraham literally in a sense was chasing grounders. He was being lured by his wife to do something that he knew. Come on, guys. He knew that was not the right call. Yeah, I mean, we're supposed to listen to our wives, right? Have, have, happy wife, happy life. But come on, when your wife tells you to go sleep with another girl, hey, guess what? Not a good choice. So he's literally being lured away. He's chasing the grounders, being lured away. This wasn't a good choice. He was, you know, I guess caught in a pickle to a degree, but he knew that he was not doing that. It reminds me of Proverbs chapter four when it says this, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Stay grounded in the position that you know you're supposed to stay in. And so it's really easy for us to be led away by a bad grounder, by someone that is taking us to try to make a bad call. And so here's the question. Do you have a teammate in your life that is leading you towards making a bad call? Where you're, in a sense, chasing grounders. Maybe for some of you, that's your boyfriend who's trying to lead you down a path that you know you shouldn't be going and it's shifting you from standing your ground in position you're supposed to be. Or maybe that's a girlfriend that's doing the same thing to you. Maybe that's a friend. Or you know, maybe it's a group of friends that's taking you down a path where you know it's gonna be a bad call. Maybe it's a boss that's kind of trying to get you to do something that maybe you know you shouldn't be doing. Or maybe if you're a parent, how about this one? Maybe it's your children. 
your children is literally like chasing a grounder and leading you astray. Because as your children are being influenced by culture, you're actually now leaning into your children and the way that the culture of the world is, is forming them instead of you standing your ground and saying, no, 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 at my house, in our home, this is what we stand for. So this just happened to me this week. In our home, it's really simple. Two rules for the kids. Don't lie and honor your mama. Don't lie and honor your mama. And my two little ones have been starting to, you know, struggle with uh, this week of honoring their mama with their words. And this week, Jen's like, are you hearing this? Are you even hearing what they're saying right now? And I'm like, no, I'm actually not even hearing what they're saying. I, I was just becoming numb to it. I wasn't paying attention. In that moment, I was letting little children in my home start to shift the culture of, no, no, we honor mama. And so my wife had to, you know, snap me up a little bit so that I could stand our ground and say, no, 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 that's not how we run our home. Who might be leading you astray to make a bad call? Where might you be chasing grounders? Next, batter up. Let's talk about Hagar for a second. Now, Hagar, when I think about Hagar, all I can think about when I think about Hagar is literally stealing bases. Just stealing bases. Not like that, Maki. Not dumb joke, but I want to make sure that you're still paying attention, okay? Stealing bases. What do we mean by Hagar stealing bases? We mean this because, now, when we think about Hagar, Granted, she was a servant. She was, in a sense, a slave. Did she really have a choice in the matter? But what we find and read in the scriptures is, is it gets pretty ugly here. When her stomach began to grow, it says that her confidence began to grow. And because her confidence began to grow, Sarah started to get frustrated and jealous and angry with Hagar and then pushed her out and she got the boot. Now, we're not for sure on this, but what's really interesting is back in this time, in this culture, in this time period, there was another book written called the Code of Hammurabi. And in the Code of Hammurabi, it was literally like a playbook for how to deal with relational challenges. And in the midst of this book, it talks about a second wife or a mistress giving an heir to a, to a husband. And when that heir would come, sometimes in situations that mistress or second wife would be deemed equal with the first wife and would gain inheritance and freedom or a combo of all of it. And so maybe, just maybe, we're not quite sure, maybe Hagar's error in this whole situation was that she was looking at stealing a base for her advantage, taking advantage of Sarah and Abraham's error for her gain. And so the question is, is where might we be stealing bases to get ahead based off someone else's error, based on someone else's sin? Like, for instance, maybe uh, that has to deal with money. I mean, just uh, a few weeks ago, I, 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 I dealt with this. Uh, I, the lease on my wife's car is coming up, and i got to get a, and, you know, figure out the car situation. And right now, if you want to try to get a car or a lease or whatever, it is crazy right now. The, the prices are nuts. People can't get cars. You probably know what I'm talking about. And so I go into the dealership, and we start talking. I'm trying to make a deal. And as we're making the deal, I only had a friends and family number. But he said, if you have an employee number, then 
I can probably cut three to four thousand dollars off the off the car. So I'm like, well, how do I get an employee number? He's like, well, if you just pay me five hundred dollars cash under the table, you know, then we'll be good to go. Shady, but I got to be honest. I'm sitting there and I'm like. I want to steal that base, you know, like that's three to $4,000. That's pretty cool. I mean, who cares? I mean, the big car companies, they got all the money in the world. I mean, no one's ever going to notice. No one even cares. And so I was tempted in that moment to steal that base. And I also, years ago, I actually did that very same thing. And so God was, you know, I felt that temptation to, you know, kind of, you know, take advantage of someone else's error for my gain. Maybe that could be done with when, when, when someone royally screws up and their reputation is really easy to just continue to just kind of bury. And then as you're burying their reputation because of their error, it actually lifts your reputation up. Or maybe it's, it's, the, it's the sin of, of people feeling insecure and the vulnerability of, of how they feel about themselves. And you use that situation to puff you up and make you feel better about yourself and you manipulate the whole situation. Where might you be stealing bases to your advantage based on someone else's bad call? So those are the three different players. Sarah striking out, Abram chasing grounders, Hagar stealing bases. Where might we, if we're honest, relate uh, to those errors in our own lives? And so now, chapter 16 talks about Hagar being booted out and then finally having the child Ishmael. And after it shares that, the story just closes there and we don't really know how Abraham and Sarah responded to this awful mistake. And so the story picks up in chapter 7 and from chapter 16 to chapter 17, listen, there's a 13-year gap, okay? Like, life still happened, but the game film... We don't have any. We don't have any recording of what happened from chapter 16 to chapter 17. 13-year gap. But here's how it starts. It says, when Abraham now was 99 years old, it says that the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Then he says this, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then it says that Abraham fell on his face. It says that Abraham fell on his face. We don't know. Was it 13 years before he repented and confessed of this error? We don't know. Could it have been a year? Could it have been a month? Could it have been a day? Could it have been hours? Could it have been seconds? We don't know. But what this reminds us of, the lack of letting us know about this detail, reminds us of the importance of timing. Baseball is a game of timing, right? I mean, I mean, every throw, every swing, every base run can make all the difference in the world in a game. Every second counts. And when it comes to our confidence, here's the tool to help us after we fall, after we fail. How do we regain our confidence? And, and the tool to regain our confidence is in the word of confession. The word of confession is how we shake off the dust after our failure and step up and gain confidence, and every second matters. Every second that goes by that we don't deal with it and don't confess it, it is a massive, massive problem. And so the first thing we need to do, right, to gain our confidence is we need to confess it to God. Proverbs 28, uh, 13 says, whoever conceals it 
conceals your sins, your screw-ups, your transgressions, you're not going to prosper. Your confidence is just, the enemy is just going to keep burying you in that. And it's just going to keep, your, your, your confidence is going to be very, very low and you're going to stay there. However, whoever, but he who confesses and forsakes them, what happens, right? You will obtain mercy. And then your confidence, you can put your head up. You can stop beating yourself up because of the mercy, because you've confessed it to God and his mercy is renewed and it's amazing and it's awesome. And you hold on to that. So first thing, confession builds our confidence when we confess it to God. But there's another piece of the confession part that I think a lot of times we dismiss and we look over and we're like, uh-uh, I ain't even touching that. And that's maybe why you keep beating yourself up and don't have confidence after you mess up. And here's what it is. Not only to confess to God, but what does it says? Therefore, confess your sins to one another. One another? And pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen, what does it say? Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. So that you can pick your head up. So that you can wipe off the dust and stand strong and move forward from that mistake, from that error. And I'll be real. When I mess up, confessing to God is easy for me. Because I trust his mercy. I understand I have a healthy fear of the Lord and his love for me and his mercy and his grace for me. And so the moment it happens, I'm like quick to get on my knees and say, I'm such an idiot. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. But to confess it to one another, to let people in to my sin, put that up in your mind. To get people in to my sin. I mean, are you kidding me? Like that's hanging myself out there a little bit. But if we don't do it, True healing won't come. And there's many of you that have had errors in your life where you have confessed it to God, but you haven't confessed it to one another. And that's what's delaying your confidence, and that is what is stalling you out. Some of you need to confess it to one another. And I'm not talking about the UPS guy or the Starbucks barista that you don't even know. It's to someone that you know. It's maybe someone who's been affected by it. And so, hey, dudes, guys, when we mess up with our eyes... You don't just confess it to God. You confess it to your spouse. Hey, girls, when you are struggling and hiding thoughts that are bad thoughts in your mind, you don't just confess it to God. You confess it to your husband. When you're dealing with depression and bad thoughts of the way that you think about yourself, you confess it to another brother. You confess it to another sister. And when we do that, there's healing. And healing can truly, truly begin. And then the beautiful part about it is that we can have this other confidence that builds our confidence is that when we do, that God will receive that confession every single time. Because he reminds us that if we confess our sins, if we actually do it, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that should build our confidence to step forward. To you know, in baseball terms, right? To put that play in the past and keep the play in the present. To, to, to put that pitch <laughs> in the past and step up to the mound and put this new pitch right into the present. To take that swing that you missed and you put that swing in the past and you keep this swing, this new swing, this new opportunity and you keep it in the present, is there something in your past that you just keep holding on to that keeps bearing your confidence, 
put it in the past and put this new play, this new day right now in the present. Last thing, last thing to help build our confidence. Love this. So the story continues. It says that behold, after you know, Abraham's on his face before the Lord, and then here's what God says in response after he's confessed. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. There's the switch of the name. For I have made you the father of multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Names are a very interesting thing. You know, every major league team in baseball has a name and the name has significant meaning. It's a symbol. So when you think about the Detroit Tigers, where did the Detroit Tigers get their name? The Tigers originated their name from the Michigan's oldest military unit. It's the members of the 425th National Guard Infantry. And when they were making the Tigers, they said, wow, wouldn't it be cool to honor them and name our baseball team off of those brave Tigers. There's a symbol behind it. And so God's done this many different times throughout scripture from, from Peter, from Simon to Peter, from Saul to Paul, to Sarai, to Sarah, and then to Abram, to Abraham. In the original Hebrew text, Abraham means exalted father. And Abraham in the Hebrew text means the father of many. God boosts our confidence by giving us symbols. And sometimes those symbols can come in many different ways. Sometimes it comes through a word from another brother or sister. Sometimes it comes from something that he gives us in his word. Sometimes it's a lyric in a song. Sometimes it's us walking out in nature and he pops something out at us in a moment that's like, you can't miss it, it's a symbol. God gives us symbols to boost our confidence, to show us the power of his forgiveness. But the ultimate symbol that he's given us that Abraham didn't even have in that moment is the symbol of his son, Jesus, who is the ultimate symbol of forgiveness. He is the coach of all coaches. He is uh, uh, the one that will never give up on us no matter how bad we play. He's the one that will correct our, us and in, in, in wherever we need adjustments. He has the power to bring the best out of us. He is the ultimate cheerleader, pep talker to, to encourage us. He's our biggest cheerleader, cheering us on to earthly victories, but not only earthly victories, but to an eternal victory. One of the symbols we see in stadiums all the time is 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want you to be buried in lack of confidence because of your error, because of your sins. He wants you to shake the dust and stand up in his victory. And he offers that to you. He offers that forgiveness. Have you ever grabbed onto the symbol of God's ultimate forgiveness, his son, Jesus? I mean, when you've messed up, because you've all messed up, we've all screwed up, where do you get your confidence from? To stand back up. Jesus gives you that power to stand back up. He is faithful to forgive. And so if you've never grabbed onto that symbol, 
and you wanna be on the winning team, you can literally sign your life over to him right now. You can sign the contract and you don't do it by works or ABC, you gotta do all this stuff. He made it real simple, through belief. Believe, those who call upon me and believe that I am God and I can save you because I died and rose again, you'll be saved. And so if you've never grabbed onto his forgiveness, I wanna give you that chance right now. So just wherever you're watching, just say, Father, I'm grabbing onto you. The symbol, the ultimate symbol of forgiveness. And then just say, I confess all of my errors, all of my flaws to you. And I believe you're the only one that can clean me up, that can wipe the dust off of me. You're the only one. And then just thank him. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just say, right now, I receive you, Jesus, the gift of your Holy Spirit into my life. As we continue to pray, if you truly meant that, as I already stated, John 3, 16, you will no longer perish, but have everlasting life. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a God that forgives. Give us the strength when we strike out, when we chase grounders or try to steal bases to get up and go to you directly and confess it, but not just to you, but to someone else. Give us the strength, give us the courage to do that. Father, I know right now someone listening is like, there's no way, there's no way I'm sharing that. God, give them the courage so that they can be truly healed and regain their confidence. Pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you made a decision to grab on to the symbol of forgiveness, Jesus, today, I hope and pray that you won't walk alone. You got questions and we don't claim to have all the answers, but we've got many uh, that can help you move towards God. And so you can just text the word Mile City to 94,000 and one of our team members will just be excited to celebrate with you and uh, connect with you.